You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that I want to start off today talking about a topic that, I, I, I don't know how to phrase it. It's almost like we never stop talking about it, but we, we almost never talk about it. And what, what I'm referring to is the defense. Here's what I mean. We've never really, I've never really, we as a Packernet podcast, excluding the other hosts, uh, group, have not actually delved into the defensive thing, right? It's it's a nonstop topic. Usually people call in and just say, I'm sick of the defense, I'm sick of Barry, I'm sick of this and that and the other thing. And it's like, yeah, dude, I get that for sure. Straight up. Got it. It sucks. Um but then every week that goes by, it's kind of like there's just this little voice in the background that's like, hey, that was not a lot of points. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Anyways, uh, Jordan Love and the receivers and crazy uh, Josh Myers and the offense and everything. And and to be fair, the, the defense hasn't been that interesting of a topic to me. So many of our stars are not playing. There's There's really nothing to analyze this year in terms of, I mean, we know what the defense is, right? Same guys, with the exception of all the injuries. Same defensive coordinator. Like, I got it. Good to, good to go. Oh, we could analyze Valentine. Like, for what? You think he has a full-time position here? No offense to Valentine. That's not a thing. The cor- he will be replaced by Jair. Valentine will be replaced by Stokes. And then it's going to be Ford and Savage pending some kind of a draft replacement or free agency replacement. That's what it's going to be, and that's what it's not right now. So there's nothing really to analyze there. We're checking out Lucas Van Ness. Hasn't been super great, but whatever. Willing to be patient. Was patient with Rashawn Gary. It paid off. Patient with Devontae Wyatt. I think it's paying off. Patient with Quay. Paid off. Otherwise, what? I mean, Brooks and Wooden. Like, all right. Cool. I just, it's, it's not the focal point, and it hasn't been for that, for me, for that reason. Do they suck? Are they elite? Like, yeah, dude, crazy. I don't know. Moving on. <laughs> But it is interesting because, you know, we had, uh, oh man, was it Trucker Bob called in 
And uh, I mean, a few people had, had called in, but he kind of hit it more head on, essentially saying, you know, it's time to start acknowledging that the defense is doing a good job. And again, it's like, yeah, you know, it's when you hold a team that doesn't score a lot of points to a not, not a lot of points, freaking whoop-de-doo, you know, I mean, you, you did your job. The real test, and this was the same for the offense, when you score 24 points against a bad defense, like I'm not going to throw a freaking parade. That's not great. But we had two weeks in a row of good offense. Chargers didn't do jack squat. And it's like, that's really surprising and awesome. But they also shot themselves in the foot. If, you know, guys could catch, it would have been a lot more points, a lot more yards, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, all right, fair enough, whatever. And then they did it again. And it's like, what the heck is, all right, let, let, let me, let's, let's think about this now. Okay, let's go back and look at the points. Because I, I know in the back of my head, again, people have been mentioning not a lot of points. It's like, yeah, it seems real. I don't know. It's actually really impressive. Now, now again, remember, the scoring this year has not necessarily been through the roof. Teams are scoring, on average, 21.7 points per game. So, you know, I think a lot of times we look at it and be like, dude, you held them to 20. That's awesome. It's actually average. It feels like the average is like 25. It's not, it's 21. So we'll keep that in the back of our minds. Still, for a quote-unquote bad defense, here's what they've given up all year going backwards. 22, 20, 23, 3, 24, 19, 17, 34 against Detroit, 17, 25, 20. If you eliminate the 34, which you can't, but let's just say, 25 points is the highest they've given up all year. I mean, this is one of the better, like from a scoring standpoint, better defenses I've ever seen. Let's just go back a couple of years. I, I have something planned out. This is sort of unplanned. So let's let's do this kind of live and let's just see. So through, uh, let's just go through the 12 weeks. Has there ever kind of been something like this? Last year through 12 weeks, we had given up, eh, it was actually pretty similar, one game that was 40, which was against the Philadelphia Eagles. Prior to that, well, it was 27-28, 15, 27, 23, 27, 27, 24, 12, 10, 23. So, I mean, the difference between 24 and 27 is not massive, but depending on where you put the cutoff, right, if we say 25 is the cutoff, then it's like, okay, well, they had several that were over, but it was three games at 27, one at 28. It's not a massive difference. 2021, it was 38, 17, 28, 17, 22, 14, 10, 21, 13, 0. I mean, that that might be even better. And then there was a, a 34 and a 28. But in 2021, you've got the 38 week one, which is the week one collapse, right? Okay, then you move on. What do you have? 17, 28, 17, 22, 14, 10, 21, 13, and 0. That stretch right there, you could even start in week two, but if you want to skip the 49ers from week four, through week 10, 17, 22, 14, 10, 21, 13, 0. That's a heck of a stretch. Now, it fell apart. 34 against the Vikings, 28 against the Rams, then 30 against the Bears, 30 against the Ravens, and 37 to end the season in week 18. So I, I guess the only question is, like, can we do this the rest of the year? Because if we can, this is probably going to be one of the best. If we can't, it's the exact same as every other defense. And, and to be clear... Right now, the Green Bay Packers rank 10th in points given up, which isn't bad. 19th in yards, 10th in in uh, whatever points. 2021, they were 13th. It's not that big of a difference. 2020, they were also 13th. 
That year it was 34, 21, 30, 16, 38. So, I mean, it was every other game was horrible, but then the game after was good. 20, 28, 17, 20, 34, 25, 16, 24, 16, 14, 16. So they, they really picked it up down the stretch. So it's just different DNAs for these things. It started off intermittently, and then they really got good down the stretch. Then we played the Rams. They stayed good. Now we played Tampa, and the defense fell apart. Classic. So I, I think the best thing about this year is that there hasn't been a lot of inconsistency. Um you know, the 34 points was the only one that was kind of terrible. I mean, 25 to the Falcons also isn't great, if we're being honest. Um, but other than that, it's all gravy, dude. Here's what I wanted to look at, because if you look at DVOA, and again, you, you can take this as a reputable source or not. It's pretty straightforward math, though. It's simply looking at how good of a job did you do compared to expectations based on your opponent? So if you hold a team to 17 points and you're like, that's proof that this defense is great, and on average that team scores 15 points, it's not evidence that your team is great, right? Pretty straightforward. Here is how the defense has done on a week-to-week basis. Remember, for defense, negative is a good thing. Positive is a bad thing. So let me put this over here so I can see both things at the same time. Week one, we allowed 20 points against the Chicago Bears. That was a negative 11.3, which is to say that is 11.3% better than expectations. Okay, week two, we gave up 25 points to the Falcons. Again, 25 doesn't seem bad, but considering how much the Falcons suck, that ain't great. They have the defense as a positive 16.9. That's pretty high. So it's, it's not only is DVOA looking at it and saying it wasn't actually that great, it's actually looking at that Falcons game and saying, that's pretty trash. It was the 10th worst defensive performance that week. Week three against the Saints, they held them to 17 points. And again, you want a big, raucous round of applause. It was a negative 2.2% DVOA, which is to say slightly better than average. Then there's week four. Week four was against the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions scored 34 points. We got a positive 11.4. Now, again, just to put this into context, they're still saying that Falcons game is worse than the Lions game, which seems ridiculous, but it's not. 11.4% is bad. It, it's, it's You are 11% worse than expected. But the point is, giving up 25 to the Falcons is worse than giving up 34 to the Lions. That's why I like DVOA, because it puts things into further context. Otherwise, you're like, 20 is good, 25 is good, 17 is good, 34 is garbage. It's like, well, it's bad, but it's also the Lions. Week 5. What did they do week 5? That was against the Raiders. They held the Raiders to seven, uh, 17 points. DVOA gave the Packers a positive 7%, which is 7% worse than expected. And you say, that's ridiculous. That's obviously nonsense. They're... Uh, Holding any team to that is impressive or whatever. They're averaging 16.8 points per game. So we held them to slightly below average, pretty much right at average. They are the 26th worst offense in football right now. Week six, we had a bye. We came out of our bye week seven. And what happened? We played the Denver Broncos and gave up 19 points. Seems pretty fantastic. DVOA called that the fifth worst defensive performance that week. Now, remember... This isn't just based on points. If it was, it wouldn't be, you know, this 
bad. You'd look at it and say, okay, that, that's pretty average, the 17 points. The Broncos, it's 19 points. Even if it's rated right average, it shouldn't be the fifth worst defensive performance. That's absolutely absurd. It was a positive 28.4% for our defense. That's terrible. Again, it's fifth worst performance, 28, almost 30% worse than an average defense. We'll get into how DVOA is calculated in a minute, but they looked at the data and said that the performance sucked. Week eight, week eight, played the Minnesota Vikings and gave up 24 points. That was a positive 15.3%. 15% worse than, a, than what a completely average defense would have done in that situation. Seventh worst defensive performance that week. Then we get to week nine. Week nine, they allowed just three points. Now, come on, three points, that has to be amazing. Well, they said it was. Negative 47.9 uh, DVOA. Elite, fantastic, wonderful. In fact, it was the third best defensive performance behind only Cleveland and Baltimore. Well done. Round of applause. Then you get week 10 against the Pittsburgh Steelers, 23 points. Again, you look at that and say, dude, it's 23 points. That's not the fault of the defense. That's on the offense for only scoring 19. 23 is perfectly adequate. DVOA had them at 20.7, 20% worse than a normal average defense. One, two, three, four, five, six, seventh worst defensive performance that week. Week 11, they held the Chargers to 20 points. Again, there should be a parade going up and down the street about how wonderful that is. Elite offensive performance or offensive team. And we held them to 20 points. The uh, DVOA rank or, or grade or whatever is negative 3.7, slightly better than average. That ranked 14th in week 11, 14th best defensive performance. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you have to be disappointed with that. But what I am going to say is the same thing that I've said about everything. Everything has additional context. We can't just look at the basic stuff. You know, Christian Watson doesn't have the stats, therefore he sucks. Really? How do you know that he sucks? That's all the information you need. He either has the stats. So let's just draw up a hypothetical situation in which every single play he's wide open and Jordan Love either doesn't throw it to him or doesn't throw it to him accurately and he ends with a uh, you know zero receptions. Is that the fault of the receiver? No. So why are we looking at just the baseline basic information of look at his yards look at his touchdowns he sucks come on man come on and 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 again we can do this with jordan as far as context look at the pressure look at the situation of the play maybe the receiver didn't run the right route maybe jordan threw it where it was supposed to be and the receiver ran a little too flat or a little too this or a little too that don't know all i'm saying is there's more data than just what they scored and again i expect this to be a pretty positive uh, DVOA for week 12 whenever that eventually does come out. But how much is it going to move the needle when you allow 22 points to the Lions? Remember, Green Bay's best game was a almost a negative 50 in week 9, right? Holding the Rams to three points. It was elite. And they've been floundering in the like bottom five defenses for a long time. If they have a neg another negative 50, they're probably outside of the top 20, but they're not a top 10 defense. They got a long way to go. So again, I, here, here's, here's the thing. We can look at it on one hand and say, listen, I, honestly, I just don't care because the results are fine. The results are, are good enough for me. I can't ask for anything more. It's consistent. 
It's, you know, bend, don't break, which is a little frustrating. But at the end of the day, as long as we can hold teams to 20, 22, 23, whatever, that's enough for an offense to win. And I think that there's some truth to that. And I think that that's fair. And we haven't had this in a long time. Like I've said, usually you see the 27, 28s. Usually you see more 30s, like two or three. We've only had one. I think if you have a defense like this, let's just say Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers had had a consistent defense like this in, let's say, 2020, well, we were 13-3 and that year already. Maybe it would have been 14-15 wins. I don't know. Um, I, I, guess, I guess the question, though, is if you're really looking at this from a standpoint of, are we maximizing the defense? And I know it seems like greedy and ridiculous, like, oh, so it has to be better than this. Look, all I'm saying is that if you dig just a little bit deeper under the surface, there are some issues. So here's here's where I think we got to just kind of make up our own minds on this stuff. Because again, DVOA is not perfect. It's just, and I've, I've mentioned this before, I think, and I do this too, we very often try to look at metrics as the be-all, end-all. Like DVOA will tell you the answer of how good they are, or PFF grade will tell you the answer of how good they are. And that's not necessarily true. It's telling you something very specific, and it can be a very, all of these things are very useful metrics, um, but but they, it, it's just a matter of what kind of question are you asking? What do you want to know? What's important to you as far as the defense? And again, if end result is what's important to you, I think you can argue that DVOA just isn't a good metric for you to use, and here's why. DVOA is not necessarily based on points. Points do obviously matter tremendously. But it's based on a play-by-play efficiency. You might already see where I'm going with this. But for every single play, there is a thing that would be successful and a a play that is not successful. So, you know, we've mentioned this before, but a three-yard run, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends on the the situation. What is a three-yard run on fourth and one? Unbelievably successful run. What about a three-yard run on fourth and ten? Don't ask why we're running. I'm just asking. That play sucks. How about first and 10? Nah, not super great, right? It depends on the context. So really, it's not, It's not. Um, for example, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 23 points compared to what the Pittsburgh Steelers typically do. It's Pittsburgh Steelers, every single play, every single down, how did you do? And on a play-to-play, down-to-down basis, what DVOA is saying is that the Packers repeatedly fail over and over and over again, especially when you adjust for the opponent, which has been, for the most part, pretty weak bad opponent. So it, again, it, it provides more, co- much more and deeper context than just looking at points because it, it first of all accounts for the opponent, which is important and it's been debated and it's better than just going online and saying, yeah, but they're bad opponents because you can still be successful against a bad opponent, right? It happens all the time. As I've said before, most teams in the NFL are pretty bad, especially now. Like there, there just are not a lot of good football teams right now. A lot of young trying to figure it out, young quarterbacks, young teams, all this kind of stuff. Um, but but this is a more efficient way to actually look and see, you know, based on the opponent, how are they doing? But it's also a play-to-play thing, not just points. So it's it's much more specific. The negative, though, potentially, this is, I'm, I'm going to provide the counter-argument right now. If the Packers are, and I don't know if they would ever subscribe to this, but we're just going to call them this because it's their, it's how we're going to bail them out. If you're a bend-don't-break defense, which is, we suck, but at the end of the day, we're not going to give up very many points, then DVOA is a useless metric, because you already concede that you suck. You have to concede that part, 
But once you do, it doesn't matter. Yeah, on a play-to-play basis, we're not very good. We give up way too many plays, convert way too many third downs we give up. These third and 15s, man, we give up 17 yards. That's a massively negative play. We do that far too often. But at the end of the day, we don't allow them to score points. If that's what you are, and that's what you're okay with, and that's what you want, disregard DVOA, it doesn't matter. If if quality of play on a down-to-down, play-to-play basis matters to you, and based on the quality of the opponent, then DVOA is a fantastic metric. And DVOA is telling you the Packers are not playing good defense. So if you wanted to create sort of a bend-don't-break scale, all you would really do, and we can do this after the break, is simply look at the points, because the points are all that matter. But then you still have to adjust for the opponent. So you simply look at it and say, how many points do they typically give up? How many points did we give up? Then just do a plus or minus. You could even do a percentage. Then you look at the percentages all the way down through the 11 weeks to see how good the, the, uh, the team did. Now, I'm not going to do that for 32 teams, but we can at least get a plus or minus for our own team, and we'll call it the bend-don't-break metric, because all that matters is points. But we still have to account for the opponent. That still is necessary. It doesn't matter. So, again, you got your DVOA metric, says they're not good. And again, we'll see the recalibration after this week. And it's, listen... It's also entirely possible that this is a defense that's getting better. We, it, it, it's possible that maybe they weren't super good to start the season. You know, maybe 20 against the Bears wasn't as impressive as we thought because they were horrible to start the season. 25 against the Falcons was worse than we thought. Then 34 against the Lions, right? They just kind of struggled a little bit early. Then they hit their stride. It was 17. It was 19. It was three. All right, then you got 20 against the Chargers, 22 against the Lions. I mean, we, we're, we're saying it for the, for the offense. Maybe it's true for the defense, too. The offense has hit its stride. Maybe the defense is hitting its stride. Now that now that we lost Jair and Razul and Ford and Savage, now they're getting it. <laughs> Whatever. But that's what I want to do after the break. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll come back and we're going to do our Ben Don't Break metric. But anyways, let's take a quick break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can support the podcast. Please consider doing so. You can support the show for as little as $1 per month. If you'd rather do it on Venmo, it's Packernet Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. So now we are going to work on a new metric, and it is called our bend, don't break metric. It's very, very simple. How many points does a team generally give up? How many points did the Packers allow compared to that average? And we're going to turn that into a percentage. And we're going to go from there, all right? We'll go week by week. Chicago Bears right now are averaging 20.9 points per game. We held them to 20. That's 4.3% better than average. Against the Falcons, they score 18.9 points. We allow 25. That's 32% worse than average. Against the Saints, they typically score 21.4. We allowed 17. That's 20.5% better. Lions score 26.7. We allowed 34. That's 27.3% worse than average. Raiders, we held them to 17, but they score 16.8. That's 1.19% worse. Denver Broncos are scoring 21.7. We allowed 19. That's 12.44% better. Vikings, they score 23. We allowed 24. That's 4.35% worse. Rams, obviously a fantastic game. They score 19.5 points per game. We allowed three. That is 84.6% better than average. Steelers score 16.6 on average. We held them to 23. That's 38.5% worse. Chargers score 25.9 on average. They score 20. That's 22.78% better. And then the Lions again, 26.7. We allowed 22. That's 17.6% better. On average across the season, they are 5% better than your average team. So what does that mean? Let's put that into context. And obviously, listen, I, I, I can already, I can hear you through my microphone. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. There's a lot of yeah, buts. There's always yeah, buts. Yeah, but what were the Bears then compared to now? What, what about the, uh, the Broncos, right? The Broncos scored 21.7 points on average, but they've been tearing it up lately and they weren't as good then or what, whatever the case may be. Doesn't matter. You can keep that context in the back of your head. It is what it is. In real world terms, what that means is, again, in the NFL right now, teams are scoring an average of 21.7 points per game. If we apply how good the Packers have been as a bend-don't-break defense, instead of 21.7, the Packers would allow 20.5. That is one point less. That right now is the quality of their bend-don't-breakedness. But again, even still, when you apply the context, again, better than average defense, so that's a given. But how much better? 
And again, I think there are some surprising things. For example, the Steelers allowing only 23. That's generally seen as a positive. 23 is a kind of a low number. Again, that's 38% worse, even using the bend-don't-break metric, because they only score 16 points a game. In other words, that game kind of sucked. The Vikings, only 24. That's negative. The Raiders, only 17. That's actually negative. The Lions, massively negative. And the Falcons, again, 25 feels low. That was probably our worst or second worst game after actually the Steelers, which is, again, seems surprising. But those are negatives. So we got one, two, three, four, five games that were negative. One, two, three, four, five, six games that were positive. And it comes out to being about average. Again, 5% better. So if you use DVOA, the Green Bay Packers, let me go back to it here. The Green Bay Packers, which on a play-to-play basis, they rank 24th. That's probably going to go up after this. But they are 4.7% worse than average. If you use just bend, don't break, they are 5.3% better than average. The bottom line is they are marginally better or marginally worse than average, depending on how you look at it. They are not a good defense. By I, I, I can't imagine any metric. You could really call them, you know, actually like high quality good, I think at best they are adequate and good enough to win with. If we apply these two things, though, by the way, um, to next week, Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs, although uh, generally considered a very high-powered offense, they are 7-3 and three with the 14th ranked offense as far as points are concerned. Um, they hit 30 points only twice this year, 31 against the Chargers, 41 against the Bears. Otherwise, it's been 20, 17, 23, 27, 19, 9, 21, and 17. That last 30-point game was uh, week seven against the Chargers. Again, since then, 9, 21, and 17, which is pretty awful. On the season, they have scored um, 22.5 points per game. If we apply the bend, don't break to it, We're looking at, instead of 22.5, the Packers holding them to 21.3 points, which again, if the Packers do that, it will be a marginal performance that will be seen and hailed as an elite performance that once again demonstrates the greatness of the Packers' defense. They held the high-powered Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Kansas City Chiefs to just 21 points. In reality, that's sort of the expectation. Perfectly average is they allow 22 points. If they allow more than 22 points, it's a negative performance. 23 points is negative based on what the Chiefs have done this year. And if you want a real kicker, the Kansas City Chiefs on the road are scoring 19.4 points per game. They are the 21st ranked team uh, playing on the road. The Packers are actually better on the road offensively than the Kansas City Chiefs are. They are the fourth best team on the road, though, defensively. So, might as well just look at it. Um, The Packers at home right now are scoring 21 points per game. If you look at the last three games, it's almost 24 points per game. But the Chiefs are allowing 17 on the road. The Chiefs are scoring 19.4 points per game. And the Packers are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, the seventh best home defense, allowing just 18.2 points per game. So, Comparing the defenses, the Chiefs, again, home and away, allowing about 17 points per game on the road, the Packers allowing 18 points per game at home. Surprisingly, the Packers are scoring less points at home than they are away. I'm hoping that's not a trend that continues, but 18.2 points at home, 23.3 points on the road, but um, that compares to the Kansas City Chiefs again. 
scoring 19 points on the road. So slightly better in both categories. In fact, by one point. So anyways, didn't really want to get into the Chiefs, but since we're talking about it, it's worth mentioning. But that's just more of of the the overall context. So our Ben Don't Break metric has them 5% better, which averages out or comes to roughly about a point better than your average defense. That obviously that number goes up as the scores go up, right? If if you're a team scoring 30 points per game, 5% is going to equate to more, getting all the way up to 1.5 points now. We're getting a little crazy. And if you score less, then the point thing means less. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you my thought process, right? Again, I haven't put a lot of work into the defense. I haven't really thought about it. It's kind of just there, there's a battle raging and I'm kind of just going, yeah, that makes sense. Actually, I see that point. I kind of see where you're coming from. And so today I'm like, you know what? I need to sit down and think about this for a minute. And so I kind of went through my thought process and I brought you along with me. Again, DVOA makes sense to me. And I think it, it DVOA really points to the frustration. But, it, but, but this whole conversation points to sort of the confusion, right? There's frustration because we're watching bad football from the defense. And DVOA will back you up. If you're watching this and saying, I just don't think they're a good football team, what I'm watching is not good enough. DVOA is like, yep, you're right. They're not very good. They're a bottom 10-ish. Maybe they, maybe they get better into the top 20 now or whatever, which would make them top or bottom 15, I guess, top 20. Um, but yeah, less than adequate defense generally on a play-to-play basis. If you look at it from just a point standpoint, they're not as good as it seems that they are because of a sort of misconception of what a low-scoring game is, especially against low-scoring offenses. But they have been better than average, and I, I don't know what that is compared to other teams. I am planning on working on that, but I'm kind of just working through how to do all that. It's kind of a lot of data that is needed, and I can't even figure out how to organize a spreadsheet to to make that work, but I'll get it figured out. I want to see sort of how they rank in terms of this whole bend-don't-break metric. But that's the disparity. And if you only care about the outcome the Packers are slightly better than average. If you care about the down-to-down, then they're slightly worse than average. Again, we're talking 5% in both directions, which is a point in both directions, roughly, although it's DVO isn't necessarily point. But you could say they're about a point better or a point worse than average. They're not superstars. They're not complete trash. It is what it is. But either way, again, getting all the way back to what you know, Trucker Bob had been talking about and some other people had been talking about, they are deserving of respect. I mean, the the amount of joy that we've had, as I said, does not happen without the defense doing what the defense did. As much as I love seeing the offense come to life, and I love seeing Jordan Love step into that role of being what it means to be a Green Bay Packers quarterback, which of course is to be great, um, seeing the receiver step up, and and uh, I would say the offensive line, but they kind of were having a rough week or, yeah, rough day. Uh as much as I love all that, and Tucker Kraft stepping up with all the injuries, you know, Rashawn Gary, I mean, the, the game doesn't happen the way that it happens without Rashawn Gary. I mean, very likely we lose the game without Rashawn Gary. Um, you know, freaking Owens making plays, and Valentine making plays. Um, guys stepping up. Kenny Clark and, and Brooks having just an unbelievable day. Uh, Lucas Van Ness, who didn't show up a ton, but he made a critical play stopping that uh, fake punt conversion, catching him from behind. He's, you know, starting to grow and step into his own, seemingly. Um, So, 
you know, again, I, I understand the confusion and I'm still relatively confused. I don't exactly know what side of this to fall on. I, th- I think the only reason I fall toward the DVOA side is that it doesn't feel as firm of a foundation to simply look at points because it feels like, although Ben don't break is, is a cute term, it also feels to me like potentially what we're looking at on the positive side is a fluke. If you're telling me that you're playing bad football, but it's but it's been okay, don't worry about it. It just feels like an impending collapse is coming. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is all intentional. Maybe this is, is perfectly fine. And um, it's just going to continue this way. It just makes me nervous to to look at DVOA, which is saying, yeah, there's a lot of bad football going on. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like it. It's kind of like, for example, if you saw a guy that had three sacks and five pressures and you're like, is he a good football player? Now, I, obviously, I don't know, but I'd be really nervous because that is a wildly unsustainable sack rate, right? You didn't get that many pressures, but the ones you did, you got a lot of sacks. So if you look at it and say, well, the production is fine. I understand that. And I'm happy with the production, but I'm also looking into the future saying, you, you're, let's say your pressure rate was like 5%, which is really bad, but your sack rate was really high. It was a great performance today, but in the future, I think you might be a bad football player. I think not only do the pressures remain low, potentially, but I think the sacks follow, and the sacks come down to what is a normal rate. In other words, if if, if the sack rate comes down to what what is average or human, you're just going to be a bad football player, and that's what I worry about with the defense. If the points eventually catch up to the play, the points are going to start to skyrocket. We're going to start to see some implosions. but. Again, I don't know. Maybe there is no pending implosion because Ben Don't Break is a real thing. It's not just a cutesy little term that we use to make excuses. Um, it's an actual strategy that's being employed, and it's actually working, and we're seeing the fruits of it. Fair enough. If that's the case, then I guess the 5% better number is the number to care about. Up to you. I'm not going to tell you what to think. You go ahead and figure out what you want, but I want you to at least be informed on what we're talking about the magnitude of how good the good is and how bad the bad is, rather than just wildly flinging phrases around or just looking at raw numbers and saying, this good, 24, good number, 29, bad number, three, great number. <laughs> okay, caveman stuff. All right, let's take our final break. Yada, yada, we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So I, I, a couple things. I wanted to take another swing at Jordan Love. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, statistics, 
basic statistics, yards, touchdowns, et cetera, as well as PFF grades, and then kind of compared it to uh, some of the other players. I want to kind of look at some of the more advanced metrics. One of the big ones that we talked about a ton early on that was weird was the EPA per play, which again, it's not the be-all, end-all, but it is a very good metric, right? It, it tells you a very specific thing. It's actually similar to DVOA um, because it's looking on a play to it's it's looking at efficiency on a play to play basis. So it's I, I I'm probably wrong, but it's it's basically identical to quarterback DVOA. It doesn't adjust for the for the defense, but still. And to start the season, Jordan Love was insanely high in EPA per play. However, on the other axis. We had completion percentage over expected, and Jordan Love was off the freaking charts. And I just, I literally went back every single year as far back as this will go. How many years back can I go on this thing? I don't know. I can't even find the years. Maybe it was something else. Doesn't matter. I went back, let's just say, to like 2012. Nobody was where Jordan Love was off by himself. I even looked at the first like three weeks or whatever it was, and I was like, well, somebody in this small sample size must have done it. Nope. Went back all the way back to 2008 or 2012 or whatever it was for weeks one, two, three, four, five. I, I, I tried everything I could to find anybody that was where Jordan Love was and nobody was. And again, my whole thing is he's going to come back down to earth. The question is, does he stay high in EPA per play and then get the completions kind of back together, which means he's going to be a top quarterback? Does the CPOE stay low and the EPA starts to normalize a little bit in which he's going to be a terrible quarterback? Or are they both going to kind of level off and he's somewhere in the middle? If we look over the course of the 12 weeks, Jordan Love is still high in EPA per play and low in completion percentage over expected, but is moving toward the middle, which is to say that both of them are sort of normalizing. If you just look at EPA per play, and this this isn't an exact science, but Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, uh, Josh Allen, Tua, Pat Mahomes, Herbert, Stroud, and Mayfield are all higher. Maybe Cousins a little bit. Well, actually, Cousins and Hertz, I think, are all slightly above him in EPA per play. So he's like middle of the pack. He's slightly above this little average line here. Um, the, the, yeah, he, he's slightly above it. Then if you look at CPOE, completion percentage over expected, he's not the worst anymore. He's not like completely off the chart. I've never seen anything this bad before. Um, it's still low. Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett, and Zach Wilson are lower. And then Matt Stafford is the guy that's completely off the charts right now in terms of negative um, CPOE, right? So the average line is currently sitting at, again, not an exact science, but we'll call it 1.5% over is, is sort of the average. And uh, Jordan Love is probably sitting at like negative two. Again, this is for the whole season. Now, if we look at Jordan Love in his little four-week span of being a good quarterback, and again, I know it's a small sample size. I'm, I'm I'm just asking the exact same question I asked yesterday or whatever day it was, which is simply if this, this four-week span, and we could drop it back to eight if we want. I doubt it makes that big of a difference. He had a 70 passing grade in that game. Probably not going to help him much, but whatever. But if we um, if we just kind of say he really did take a step and this is real, what kind of quarterback are we dealing with? So over the last four weeks, obviously everything shifts. The average GPA per play line, the line of average CPOE shifts or whatever. But 
Jordan Love is now positive in both categories. EPA per play, he's still high. He's still at about where he was before. So the average is just above zero. Jordan Love is at about... So the the highest, by the way, is just under 0.4 so that we have a reference. So between, let's just call it between zero and four, Jordan Love's sitting at about like 2.2. In terms of looking at it where all the other guys are, he's about even with Stroud. Stroud's a little bit higher. The only two that are above him are Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy. And we talked about that. Dak and Brock are playing out of control right now. Other than that, though, like second tier, it's Jordan Love, Jalen Hurts, and CJ Stroud with, I mean, if if, if we're kind of getting out the, the, the centimeter ruler here. It's Stroud, then Love, then Hurt. If we look at CPOE, he's not quite as high, but he's still way ahead of the pack. So that one also is just above 0%, is the average among all the quarterbacks. The highest is actually Russell Wilson, who's at probably about 14%, but he and Brock Purdy are outliers. The, the top of the actual crowd, if we remove Purdy and Wilson, would be Dak Prescott. He's probably at about 7 Jordan Love is probably at about 4%, 3.5%. If we went in order, it would be Russell Wilson, Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott, C.J. Stroud, Lamar, Jalen, Trevor Lawrence, then Tua, Joe Burrow, then Jordan Love. That's pretty good company to be in. Bottom line is, if you look at the intersection, he's in a little little uh, crowd of guys. It's uh, Jordan Love, Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Trevor Lawrence, kind of in that range, right? Jalen Hurts is kind of over there. Josh Allen is kind of in that area. Like the biggest difference between him and Jalen Hurts is that Jalen Hurts is higher in CPOE, but much lower in EPA per play. But that's the crowd that he's in. He's at the front of the line. So he is in front of, for example, a a little bit ahead of, I would say, Burrow and Mayfield. He's ahead of Minshew, Allen, Dobbs, Goff, Watson, Howell, Geno, Pat Mahomes, and I know everyone's going to lose their mind. I'm telling you, there's nothing really amazing about Pat Mahomes right now. A lot of people are posting Pat Mahomes stats and Jordan Love stats, and it's like, oh, look how good Love is. Let's be honest. That's more of an indictment of Pat Mahomes this year. But every time an elite athlete falls, we refuse to acknowledge it. So we have to just pretend a bunch of nonsense. Pat Mahomes is toward the back of the list. Then you got Will Levis, Bajant. Wilson, Boyle, O'Connell, Murray, Pickett, the guys at the back. Herbert, actually. He's pretty high in EPA per play, but his CPOE is really low. Mac Jones, Bryce Young, and uh, Heineke kind of at the back there. So, again, there's the whole pile of guys, and there's a lot of bad quarterbacks, but Jordan Love is up near the front, and he's pushing his way forward. And honestly, I can go all the way back. I tried just bumping it back every single week, and this is just EPA per play compared to completion percentage over expected, but I can go all the way back to week six. If I go back further to, to you know, week four or whatever, week five, then he's kind of on the negative side as far as especially the CPOE. But if we go from week six to week 12, he's still on the positive side, the the upper right quadrant of the uh, of the graph, which is where you want to be. You're positive in both CPOE and EPA per play going all the way back to week six. And if we change the CPOE to success rate, it just bumps Jordan Love up even more. I mean, everybody's much tighter to the line when you do that. CPOE can be kind of wild. So, I mean, you can kind of go just in order of who's the best and the worst. You got Dak Prescott, Ta- Dak Prescott, then Brock, then Stroud, then Hertz. And then it's kind of, there's like a three-way tie between Jordan Love, Lamar Jackson, and Jared Goff. By looking at EPA per play and success rate. And I think the reason it's so tight to the line is because there's a lot of overlap between the two things, but still. And I want to just, real quick before I move off this Jordan Love thing, hammer home 
the CPOE thing, and I, I switched it over to next gen stats just to kind of look at it, and I think it's even more positive. I'm not, I don't really know. But the bottom line is Jordan Love is now positive in CPOE. And I just want to hammer home what that means. CPOE is completion percentage over expected, which is, in this case, next-gen stats, looking at the situation by situation, pass by pass, and asking, what is the likelihood that this actually gets completed? You know, distance between the receiver and the, the defender, the, the, how far of a, how deep of a pass is it? Jordan Love is completing it above average, which is to say he's making throws that he shouldn't be making. We got robots looking at it saying, you know, at best, he's going to complete like 15 passes and he ends up completing 17 or 18. That's a big deal. It's, it's, it's not just, oh, good, he doesn't suck anymore. It's more than that. Just for fun, because I was just going through some of the different stats. Weeks 9 through 12, if we look at EPA per play and then compare it to 20 plus yard completions, Dak Prescott's number one, CJ Stroud number two, Jordan Love number three. He's number three in 20 plus yard completions but also is kind of up there with EPA per play. Could, could argue Brock Purdy would be ahead of Jordan Love if you wanted to, but because his EPA per play is so high, even though he's got less 20-plus yard completions. But the point is, you got Dak, small gap Stroud, giant gap Jordan Love, then Brock Purdy, and then massive gap everybody else. So there's like tier one is Prescott and Stroud, tier two is Purdy and Love, and then tier three through everybody else is just a big giant pile of, ha ha, you suck, and we don't. All right, let's end this uh, pretty straightforward here. The uh, It's Sunday for you, so let's go through some of these here. I'm not sure where we're all at. Some people might still be chasing draft picks, some are chasing playoffs, but let's just assume draft pick is not massively important right now and look at this from a playoff standpoint. There are, as I mentioned, as of right now, the probabilities would tell you that the Packers, as far as the, the teams that are competing to try to get into the playoffs, are sort of the number one team knocking at the door. Sort of the number one outside looking in team. The Packers are currently number eight, with the Seahawks, Vikings, um, kind of being the two teams that are out in front. You could say the Saints, but somebody from that division uh, has to win no matter what. So you got your four teams, and then you got your two that are going to end up kind of competing. So right out of the gate, we got Saints and Falcons. Um, honestly, I think the best case scenario would be for a Saints win. Again, somebody has to go to the playoffs. We can look at it and say the Falcons winning would be better because then it would be a 5-6 and six team and the Saints would be a 5-6 and six team. And then so then there'd be two teams tied with the Pack, whatever. But from my perspective, let the Saints continue to powerhouse their way in and let a competing team that's on the outside looking in fall off. That just makes it even hard. If the Falcons fall to four and seven, they're not much competition for us anymore. I mean, they are still, but it's just it makes it harder and easier for us to knock on the door. So we are absolutely rooting for the New Orleans Saints to win that game. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, who cares? Jacksonville, Houston, who cares? Then we get to Tampa Bay and Indy. Tampa Bay is four and six. Same division. We're talking Falcons. We're talking NFC South, right? Buccaneers, just like the Falcons, are 4-6. and six. They're just a game behind us, or a half a game, whatever. The win puts them on par with us and means that they are just right there knocking on the door. We absolutely need the Colts to win that game. And by the way, the, the, these Saints are expected to win, but they're just 1.5 point favorites. Not massive. The Colts favorites, but just by 2.5 points. Then we get to Patriots-Giants. The Giants are pretty far away. 
but you never know what can happen. Obviously, Patriots are AFC, Giants are NFC, so rooting for the Patriots to win. Shockingly, the Patriots are four-point favorites in that game. I hate rooting for the Patriots because I still have a bad taste in my mouth about them just being so good, but I don't care. I'm rooting for the Patriots to just completely take the Giants out of the hunt. Tennessee Carolina mostly doesn't matter because Carolina has basically no chance. For those reasons, I'm rooting for Carolina to win because the Bears have their pick and I don't want the Bears getting a high pick. So I really, 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 really want the Patri- the Panthers to go on a little bit of a run because I'll tell you what, if the Panthers can win out and that's good enough to beat us, then we don't deserve to get into the playoffs because that would put them, what, one game ahead of us, which means we would have to lose out the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm rooting for the Panthers to win every single game from here on out. Wait, do we play them? <laughs> Not the time we play them. Uh, Denver-Cleveland doesn't matter, although I am rooting for Denver, partially because I don't like Cleveland, and partially because I just like the fact that they're winning now. Everybody hated on Denver and hated on their coach, and I appreciated their coach and still do. And his ability to turn this team around reflects really poorly on Hackett, and I kind of like that, which isn't very nice, but I don't care. He was a terrible coach. He ruined that team. He doesn't deserve the position he's in right now. I don't think he's doing a very good job. I think he was brought in simply for Aaron Rodgers. I think that whole thing is nonsense. I think it's a joke. And anyways, I'm hoping for uh, Denver to prove a lot of people wrong, especially with that whole, look, he made comments. Maybe he shouldn't have said it, but he was honest. And the reaction was so stupid and pathetic. How dare you? He is a lovely human being. Like, okay, shut up. LA Rams, Arizona Cardinals. This one's a little bit tough but not really. We're rooting for the Cardinals to beat the Rams. The only reason I say it's a little bit tough is because we already beat the Rams, so in any kind of a tiebreaker, I mean, they would have to be a game ahead of us in order for it to matter. So if the if the Cardinals were a slightly better football team, like if they were also a four-win team or even a three-win team, I'd say, you know what, maybe let the Rams win. But the Cardinals are so far behind. Plus, the Cardinals losing, I want them to get the number one pick. We need not only do the Panthers to win, but we need a lot of other teams to lose to start going further and further down, not the Bears, but teams like the Giants and you know whoever else to help push the Carolina. Because if the Panthers win, but the Cardinals also win, what did that do? We didn't gain any ground there. So we need the Cardinals to lose. And um, so I, I, I guess you could say I'm conflicted. <laughs> the Cardinals win is what matters the most for the Packers. But a Cardinals loss would be fantastic at kicking the Bears in the shins, and the Rams aren't that big of a threat. I don't know. I, I guess either way, it's a win. If the Rams lose, that just further solidifies us as the only real team competing for a playoff spot. If the Rams and the Falcons and the Bucks all lose or whatever, it's just it's 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 the Packers competing with the Vikings and the Seahawks, and that's pretty much it. If Arizona loses then congrats to the Rams. You still suck. You're not going to beat us. And um, hopefully the Cardinals get the number one pick. Win-win. Um, Chiefs Raiders does matter to me because we're playing the Chiefs. So I am going to be rooting for Las Vegas simply because Kansas City beating up on, on Las Vegas 45-5. to five, I mean, that sucks. It's like, oh, great. It's a freaking buzzsaw that we're running into. That's not a good thing. I would like it to be either a very narrow Kansas City win or even potentially a Kansas City loss. I just want to see Kansas City look bad to give me hope that, you know what, we're going to kick the crap out of them after we just beat the Chargers and the Lions. And then we got the Giants, we got the Bucks, we got the Panthers. We're, we're just, we're on a freaking roll here. 
Uh, Philly and Buffalo. I mean, it's it's go Buffalo. Obviously, we're rooting against the NFC team here. Um, it just it's just a good thing for us. Um, I also just kind of like Buffalo. I don't think they're a very good football team. I don't think that they're going to win. Um, but you know, plus Josh Allen's my fantasy quarterback. So and then the late game, we got Baltimore and the Chargers. Doesn't really matter at all. Which leaves us with the Monday game, Chicago, Minnesota. We could talk about it tomorrow, but I'll probably forget. Plus, we're just doing it right now. Who are we rooting for? It's Chicago. Chicago winning is going to hurt them in the draft, and Minnesota losing is going to help us in the playoffs. They will drop to 6-6. and I want the Bears to beat the ever-loving crap out of the Minnesota Vikings. Embarrass them. I I, I don't know why I want that so bad. I I have been the biggest anti-Bears person. But it's like, I want Fields to look good because I don't want them to get a new quarterback. I want him to just come out and just tear. Like, I want him to run for 500 yards and uh, Allen Robinson or, no, who's their running? I can't remember. (laughs) Who's their new, like, superstar that they got because they keep doing that and it has no effect ever. Oh, yeah, DJ Moore. That's the guy. He's been pretty good. I want um, Justin Fields and DJ Moore and Cole Komet, freaking Darnell. Equinemius, why not? Depending, I mean, some of these guys are probably hurt. I have no idea what's going on over there. Again, I haven't even paid attention. Things have been such a disaster over here. I haven't even poked my head up to see what's going on. But I want them to come out and beat the crap out of the Vikings. 45-2, to because Fields took a safety because he's an idiot. But but he's still good, and you shouldn't draft a new quarterback. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to love that game. And I am going to be, uh, I, I know it's blasphemous. I'm going to be cheering for the Bears. I'm going to be cheering against the Vikings. Let's be completely honest about what's happening. But that's where I'm at. Bears move up to four and eight. Hopefully jump up like to the sixth pick in the draft. I want them to go on a little bit of a run. Start winning a bunch of games. Same with Carolina. I want Carolina and Chicago to just beat everybody from here on out. And the Packers do the same thing. They get into the playoffs. They beat the Bears. They beat the Vikings. Beat the Panthers. Again, Bears and Panthers win every game except the Packers games. And then, then life's perfect. Is that, I mean, am I, am I asking too much? I don't think I'm asking too much. Tell me if I'm asking too much, but I don't think I am. I think I'm being reasonable and rational and all those are things. Reliable and reachable, reluctant, yet reticent. You know what I mean? Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. Happy Sunday. Happy relaxing Sunday. Son came downstairs. He's like, "Are you doing the podcast tomorrow?" I was like, "Yeah, of course. Why?" He's like, "Oh man, because I wanted to watch a red zone with you." I'm like, "Bro, I'll get up early and get the podcast done, and we'll just red zone it up all day. Get some chips and dip. Just freaking rock the house, bro. It's gonna be dope." Anyways, have a good day. Talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>